0: Types of Subjective Welfare by Michael S. T. Jules Summary I describe and review four broad potential types of subjective welfare. 1. Hedonic states, that is pleasure and unpleasantness. 2. Felt desires, both appetitive and aversive. 3. Belief-like preferences, that is preferences as judgments or beliefs about value. and 4. Choice-based preferences, that is what we choose or would choose. My key takeaways are the following. 1. Belief-like preferences and choice-based preferences seem unlikely to be generally comparable, and even comparisons between humans can be problematic, more. 2. Hedonic states, felt desires and belief-like preferences all plausibly matter intrinsically, possibly together in a morally pluralistic theory, or unified as subjective appearances of value or even under belief-like preferences, more. 3. Choice-based preferences seem not to matter much or at all intrinsically, more. four the types of welfare are dissociable, so measuring one in terms of another is likely to misweigh it relative to more intuitive direct standards, and risks discounting plausible moral patients altogether, more. 5. There are multiple potentially important variations on the types of welfare, more. Heading. Acknowledgements. Thanks to Brian Tomasek, Derek Schiller, and Bob Fisher for feedback. All errors are my own. Heading. The four types. It appears to me that subjective welfare, welfare whose value depends only or primarily on the perspectives or mental states of those who hold them, can be roughly categorized into one of the following four types based on how they are realized. Hedonic states, felt desires, belief-like preferences, and choice-based preferences. To summarize, there's welfare as feelings, hedonic states and felt desires, welfare as beliefs about value, belief-like preferences, and welfare as choices, choice-based preferences. I will define, illustrate and elaborate on these types below. For some discussion of my choices of terminology, see the following footnote. Subheading. Hedonic states. Hedonic states. Feeling good and feeling bad, or, conscious, pleasure and unpleasantness, unpleasure or displeasure, or, conscious, positive and negative effect. Their causes can be physical, like sensory pleasures and physical pain, or psychological, like achievement, failure, loss, shame, humor and threats, to name a few. There's an image here, with the caption. A juvenile member of the species Homo sapiens expressing positive effect, Dali. It's unclear if interpersonal comparisons of hedonic state can be grounded in general whether or not they can be between beings who realize them in sufficiently similar ways. In my view, the most promising approaches would be on the basis of the magnitudes of immediate and necessary cognitive or mental effects, causes or components of hedonic states. Other measures seem logically and intuitively dissociable, for example see the section on dissociation below, or incompatible with functionalism at the right level of abstraction. For example against using the absolute number of active neurons, see Mathis, 2022 and Shriver, 2022. Subheading. Felt desires. Felt desires. Desires we feel. They can be one of two types, either A, appetitive, or incentive and typically conducive to approach or consummatory behavior and towards things, like in attraction, hunger, and anger, or B, aversive, and typically conducive to avoidance and away from things, like in pain, fear, disgust and again anger, Hazet Al, 2014, Beridge, 2018, and on anger as aversive and appetitive, Carver and Harmon Jones, 2009, Watson, 2009 and Lee and Lang, 2009. However, the actual approach a consummatory or avoidance behavior is not necessary to experience a felt desire, and we can overcome our felt desires or be constrained from satisfying them. There's an image here, with the caption: The dog wants what's on that plate, darling. Potentially defining functions of felt desires could be their effects on attention and its control as motivational salience, or incentive salience and aversive or threat salience, which draw attention towards features of stimuli. Berridge, 2018. Kim et al, 2021. Effects on attention and its control seem to be a promising basis for comparisons of the strengths of desires, intrapersonally and interpersonally. The more a desire pulls an individual's attention or resists top-down attention control, the stronger it is. However, even this could turn out to be essentially individual-relative, for example, relative to their maximum or non-zero minimum attention or awareness, which could turn out to have no basis for general comparison across individuals. Like for hedonic states, the most promising approaches seem to be on the basis of the magnitudes of immediate and necessary cognitive or mental effects, causes or components of felt desires. Subheading. Belief-like preferences. Belief-like preferences. Judgments or beliefs about value, good, bad, betterness or worseness, or judging or believing that something matters. If I judge or believe it to be better to have a 10% chance of dying tomorrow than to live the rest of my life with severe chronic pain, in line with the standard gamble approach to estimating quality-adjusted life years, (QALYs), then I prefer it on this account. Or, I might judge my life to be going well, and am satisfied with my life as a whole. A kind of global preference, Parfit, 1984, Plant, 2020, because it's going well in work, family, and other aspects important to me. Other examples include moral beliefs, for example pain is bad, knowledge is good, utilitarianism, against harming others, about fair treatment, etc., important goals or projects, for example getting married, raising children, helping people, general beliefs about how important things are to us, other honestly reported preferences, overall judgments ranking possible states of the world, also global preferences. There's an image here, with the caption. The trolley problem. Do you believe it's better to pull the lever to divert the trolley towards the top track, killing the one, but saving the five? Credits Jesse Prins, Howe, 1994, and Berridge, 2009, use the term cognitive desires for essentially the same concept. For an overview of various accounts of beliefs, see Schwitzgebel, 2023, Section 1. I suspect we should distinguish believing, judging, or thinking that from merely entertaining or thinking of a possibility. People themselves can tell when they are doing one or the other, and there are some plausible directions for how this could work, but I don't commit to any specific approach here. I'm skeptical that we can ground belief-like preference comparisons that are both. 1. Intuitive interpersonally, for example without some humans having far larger stakes than other humans, and 2. Intuitive intrapersonally, for example agreeing with each person's global belief-like preferences, that is what they would endorse after reflection. These are largely the same problems for intertheoretic comparisons of moral theories, for example, Tomasik, 2018, and McCaskill, Bikevist, and Ord, 2020, chapters 4 and 6. Global belief like preferences will face similar challenges because they include or reflect moral beliefs, and otherwise for similar reasons. Houseman, 1995, Greaves, and Lederman, 2018, and Barrett, 2019, discuss similar challenges directly for preference views. See the following footnote for some examples. One response may be to look for mental, cognitive, or physical features of belief like preferences to compare. I'm skeptical that we'll find any that can be used to satisfy the two criteria above, while grounding the vast majority of interpersonal comparisons between humans. Another response may be to normalize in some way, for example based on the range or variance, McCaskill. Bykvist and Ord, 2020, Chapter 4, or by eliciting responses on a fixed scale, like the Satisfaction with Life Scale, Dina et al., 1985, Novosik, Fetzer Institute, or Quality Adjusted Life Years, QALYs, Questionnaires. You can do this, but this doesn't actually ground interpersonal comparisons. It doesn't mean they actually assign the same or even similar absolute subjective value to similar points, or between pairs of points along the scale and there are reasons to believe they don't even in common cases. Subheading. Choice-based preferences. Choice-based preferences. Our actual choices, as in revealed preferences, or what we would choose. If I choose an apple over an orange when both are available in a given situation, then, on this account and in that situation, I prefer the apple to the orange. In order to exclude reflexive and unconscious responses, even if learned, I'd consider only choices under voluntary or top-down. Cognitive control, driven, at least in part, by reasons of which the individual is conscious, conscious, intentions and/or choices following, conscious, plans any non-empty subset of these requirements. Conscious reasons could include hedonic states, felt desires or belief-based preferences. For example, the normal conscious experience of pain drives behavior in part through executive functions, cognitive control, not just through, apparently, unconscious pain responses like the withdrawal reflex. There's an image here, with the caption. I've been doing a lot of this lately. Must be what's best for me. Credits. Molly Savorum. Heathwood, 2019, calls these behavioral desires and argues against their moral importance, because they don't require any genuine attraction to the chosen options, or aversion to the alternatives. It also seems unlikely that choice-based preferences are interpersonally comparable in a way that matches how people would endorse their preferences be weighed intrapersonally, directly for the same reasons as belief-like preferences as just discussed, and indirectly because choice-based preferences can reflect belief-like preferences. Heading. Welfare should be conscious. To count morally in an individual, I'd assume some of the relevant states must be consciously experienced, or, could be in the right circumstances. Therefore, systems incapable of consciousness wouldn't have morally relevant welfare. Effect and motivational salience can apparently both be unconscious, so there are apparently unconscious versions of hedonic states and felt desires. Beliefs also often seem to be unconscious. They don't count unless they are or could be conscious. Furthermore, it's not enough to just be aware or conscious of negative effect, say, it has to consciously feel negative. For example, I can be conscious of someone else's negative effect without it making me experience negative effect, although it may often do so, because of emotional empathy. Likewise, just being a conscious observer of my own negative effect doesn't make it feel bad. The same goes for motivational salience and beliefs. However, on some views, for example some highly graded illusionist accounts of consciousness or some panpsychist views, just having such states at all could be enough to establish at least some minimal consciousness and the states could necessarily be conscious in the right way. Heading. Moral plurality or unification. Hedonic states, felt desires and belief-like preferences all plausibly ground some kind of moral value, perhaps even simultaneously within a pluralistic theory of subjective well-being. Maybe also choice-based preferences, but I'm more skeptical of their intrinsic value. This is, however, probably a controversial position, and comes with substantial costs and challenges. I expect trade-offs between the types of welfare to be impossible to ground intrapersonally in a satisfactory way, that is non-arbitrarily and in a way that respects my intuitions about how each type of welfare scales in itself. That seems pretty unsatisfying. However, each type of welfare seems to independently intrinsically matter to me, and discounting plausible moral patients, individuals with some types of welfare but not necessarily all, just because they're missing one or multiple other types seems far worse. For example animals that experience suffering but have no belief-like preferences would matter to me. We can also imagine belief-like preferences, and choice-based preferences, without hedonic states or felt desires, as in the thought experiments of Phenom, Carruthers, 1999, also discussed in Mühlhauser, 2017, Section 6.1.3.2, and Philosophical Vulcans, Chalmers et al., 2019, Chalmers, 2022, also discussed in Roloffs, 2022 and Birch, 2022. Such beings could still believe things matter, even if they didn't feel like anything mattered. And they seem to matter to me, too. Not all of what seems to matter to us matters to us directly on the basis of feelings. Some things matter deductively, for example the logical implications of the reasons and principles we recognize. Some atypical humans, for example due to brain lesions or genetics, or future artificial intelligence could be like this. Roloff's, 2022, ungated, simultaneously captures hedonic states. Felt desires and belief like preferences together in motivating consciousness and grounds their value with motivational sentientism. Quote, the basic argument for motivational sentientism is that if a being has conscious states that motivate its actions, then it voluntarily acts for reasons provided by those states. This means it has reasons to act subjective reasons, reasons as they appear from its perspective, and reasons which we as moral agents can take on vicariously as reasons for altruistic actions. Indeed, any being that is motivated to act could, it seems, sincerely appeal to us to help it. Whatever it is motivated to do or bring about, it seems to make sense for us to empathize with that motivating conscious state, and for the being to ask us to do so if it understands this. End quote. Roloff's, 2022, Ungated, further elaborates on motivation itself. Quote. Finally, motivating consciousness should be suitable to motivate, but need not actually motivate a desire that I never get the chance to act on is still a desire, and likewise a pain I cannot do anything about. In the extreme, this means that a being who felt pleasure and displeasure but had no capacity to act in any way, like the weather watchers described by Strawson, 1994, page 251ff, would count as having motivating consciousness, and thus moral status. End quote. And. Quote. As I am using it, motivation here does not mean anything merely causal or functional. Motivation is a distinctively subjective, mental, process whereby some prospect seems attractive, some response makes sense, some action seems called for from a subject's perspective. The point is not whether a given sort of conscious state does or does not cause some bodily movement, but whether it presents the subject with a subjective reason for acting. End quote. In other words, it's the subjective appearance of value, or according to Roloff, the subjective sense of better or worse, or subjective goodness and badness, that matters, and this could come in the form of hedonic states, felt desires or belief-like preferences. Choice-based preferences are just voluntary acts guided by these reasons, and other processes. Framed this way, it could also turn out to not be pluralistic at all. There could be just one broad type of subjective welfare, namely the subjective appearance of value if there's a general enough account of it. Hedonic states, felt desires and belief-like preferences would just be special cases. We might also take an individual with access to multiple of the types to be made up of distinct, but possibly interacting, moral patients, at least, one for each type of welfare available to them, corresponding to the subsystems that realize them. Whether or not we actually do this, it can be instructive to think of them this way to highlight the separateness of the types of welfare or systems realizing them, Potential disagreement between them and cases where we might otherwise inadvertently privilege one type of welfare or system over another, whether or not they turn out to be one type of welfare, but realized by different systems, say, I will continue to generally refer to them as different types of welfare. Subheading Unification under Belief Like Preferences Belief Like Preferences may already be general enough to capture hedonic states and felt desires, using a broad enough account of belief. For example, if believing something is bad means representing it in some kind of negative light, being drawn away from it, motivated to stop or prevent it, or otherwise acting as if it's bad, see Schwitzgebel, 2023, Section 1 for various accounts of belief, then unpleasantness and aversive felt desires seem to do these and should qualify. Hedonic states and felt desires could also qualify as the recognition and application of concepts of good and bad. It's also plausible to me that hedonic states just are hardwired or cognitively impenetrable belief-like preferences, as attitudes in attitudinal accounts, for example discussed in Lynn, 2020 and Pallas, 2021, and representations of value in representationalist-evaluativist accounts, Bain, 2017. This seems especially plausible under some moral interpretations of illusionist accounts of consciousness for which actual illusions, themselves beliefs or appearances, are what ground moral value to which I'm sympathetic. Felt desires seem to in fact be at least partially attention-based, Berridge, 2018, Kim et al., 2021, so may not, just, be attitudes or representations, and whether or not they are attitudes or representations, they could matter, in part, because of how they affect attention. On the other hand, the way felt desires affect attention could just be a different way of being belief-like preferences under a dispositionalist or interpretationist account, described in Schwitzgebel, 2023, section 1. The unification under belief-like preferences wouldn't help with comparisons between hedonic states, felt desires and other belief-like preferences, if and because belief-like preferences are already too hard to compare in general. In fact, if and because of the potential barriers to interpersonal comparisons of belief-like preferences, This unification could also end up counting against interpersonal comparisons of hedonic states and felt desires, at least across sufficiently different beings, if what matters about them is just what characterizes belief-like preferences in general. Subheading. Do choice-based preferences matter? There's a question here whether choice-based preferences should be considered a type of welfare at all and matter intrinsically, especially if we want to consider what choices a being practically incapable of choice would make if they were capable of choice like Roloff's, 2022 ungated does or we could consider people with locked-in syndrome who are almost entirely incapable of motor control and movement my intuition is that their limited physical capacities have no bearing on how much things can matter to them if their other the welfare ranges aren't limited for example they can suffer just as intensely and have similar beliefs about what matters so either choice-based preferences add little or they shouldn't depend on the physical capacity to affect change in the world for example, they should be idealized in some way. Choice-based preferences could just be consequences of the other types of welfare and other non-welfare processes. However, if choice-based preferences don't matter, do we exclude plausible moral patients? In my initial characterization of choice-based preferences, their most potentially distinctive properties seem to be voluntary choice, intentions or plans, or specifically conscious versions of these. It's not clear what else the reasons on the basis the choices are made could be other than hedonic states, felt desires or belief-like preferences. So, imagine a conscious being that has no hedonic states, felt desires or belief-like preferences. To them, nothing feels good, bad, desirable or aversive, and they don't believe anything matters. Still, they imagine alternatives, make plans consciously, have conscious intentions, choose and follow through they are conscious of their choices and how and why those choices are made as they are made, that is the cause of their choices, but these causes are not any kind of feeling or belief that makes that plan appear better or better justified to them. Would there be something wrong with thwarting their plans? Do they actually care? Do they act like something matters, and is that enough for this being to matter? What exactly matters to them? 1. The causes of their choices of which they are conscious. It seems not. If I were conscious of more of the details of how my brain worked as it did, those wouldn't necessarily feel important and I don't think I'd be inclined to believe those mattered. 2. The choices, intentions or plans themselves. It's not clear why they would matter. 3. The objectives of their plans? What if there are no objectives? Maybe the mattering doesn't have to be about anything in particular, just like it seems that we can directly stimulate pleasure or unpleasantness in brains. It's hard to see what exactly would matter to this being, if anything. So, I'm inclined to say nothing does, or at least not much. Heathwood, 2019, considers a similar thought experiment, but further allowing goals and choices on their basis. Quote, so what we need to imagine instead is a being who has goals, and can bring them about, but is in no way, invested, in them. The achievement of their goals doesn't genuinely appeal to this being, or excite them to any degree. The being is simply disposed, like a machine, to coolly and detachedly bring them about. When the being wins its game of chess, it does so joylessly, with no enthusiasm or real interest. Nor is the being genuinely averse to losing the game of chess. The being will try to win, of course, but won't mind if it loses. It wins chess games the way Deep Blue, IBM's chess-playing computer, does, or the way Quinn's Radio man turns on radios. Once we see that this is how this being would have to be, it is no longer intuitive to say that the being benefits when it satisfies its merely behavioral desire to win the game. Just as winning holds no appeal for the being, losing doesn't bother it one bit. It seems to get nothing out of it either way. Thus I believe that on closer examination, this case, similar as it is to the cases of Quinn's radio man and Parfit's Drug Addict, in fact provides confirmation for the restriction to desires in the genuine attraction sense rather than evidence against it. End quote. What separates this from phenom and philosophical Vulcans, or will by assumption here, is that this being doesn't actually believe its goals matter. On the other hand, does having a goal and acting to achieve it a kind of functionalist way of believing the goal matters, anyway? If so, then Heathwood's being would have belief-like preferences. Perhaps the distinction is just that phenom and philosophical Vulcans believe things matter in a more robust sense but Heathwood's being still, at least in some minimal sense, also believes its goals matter. If that's the case, then Heathwood's being could still matter minimally, but belief-like preferences could be enough to explain that. Their choice-based preferences need not matter. Heading. Welfare types can influence each other. All of these types of welfare can influence each other in humans. Hedonic states reinforce to give us felt desires, while continuous felt desire frustration can become unpleasant. Our feelings, hedonic states and felt desires, affect and inform our beliefs. For example, we endorse what feels good and things to which we have appetitive desires, and we disapprove of what feels bad or things to which we have aversive desire. Our beliefs affect how we feel. Our beliefs and feelings affect and inform our choices. Our choices affect what we feel and believe, sometimes regardless of their effects on the world outside us for example our feelings and beliefs about ourselves, like our identities or character, pride, or shame. However, there can still be substantial disagreement between the types of welfare. Heading. Dissociation between welfare types. These types of welfare are generally pairwise dissociable in humans and other animals, at least experimentally. In other words, there could be one type of welfare without the other matching in sign or direction. For example, an addict may have strong felt desires for the thing to which they are addicted, but believe it would be better to stop and they may no longer experience much pleasure from it. Someone with motivational anhedonia may no longer be motivated, whether as felt desire or belief-based preference, by what they enjoy, even if they would still enjoy it. Felt desire, or wanting, is dissociable from pleasure, or liking, and belief-based preferences, or cognitive desires. According to Berridge, 2018, Baumgartner et al., 2021 and Berridge, 2023. On the other hand, Shriver, 2014, 2021, argues that unpleasantness and aversive desire are not dissociable in physical pain in humans and rats. However, even if this turns out to be the case, this wouldn't mean they aren't dissociable in every possible moral patient or other unpleasant or aversive experiences. These dissociations imply that measuring one type of welfare in terms of another, for example the strengths of desires or preferences on the basis of how much pleasure is derived from their satisfaction, or pleasure intensity on the basis of how much it is desired or preferred, can badly intuitively misweigh the type of welfare from its own lights. Another risk is entirely failing to count some moral patients who have one type, but not the type used to measure, for example using belief-like preferences to measure if some beings with hedonic states have none for example perhaps some non-human animals, or using hedonic states or felt desires to measure if some beings with belief-like preferences have none, for example some conceivable artificial consciousness. Heading. Variations. There are multiple variations or further classifications that can be applied across the types of welfare, not necessarily each variation to each type of welfare. I describe some potentially important distinctions here, on which our theories may depend. A current, active, usually conscious at the time, versus standing, implicit or dispositions, how we would respond, Schroeder, 2015 and separately for beliefs, Schwitzkabel, 2023, sections 2.1 and 2.2. For example, if when you see a specific person, you would often feel attraction to them, then this could be a standing felt desire. Similarly, if you would often feel joy when you see someone, this could be like a standing version of a hedonic state. Moods could also be standing versions of hedonic states, as dispositions to feel more or less pleasure and unpleasantness generally, for example anhedonia in depression. In contrast, hedonism is standardly only concerned with the current, conscious, hedonic states. Or, if you would be asked about your life satisfaction or about quality-adjusted life year, QALY, trade-offs, how you would, honestly, respond would be standing preferences. I'd expect standing versions to often be dispositional and not actually stored explicitly anywhere in the brain. For example a person won't store any kind of representation of their life satisfaction until they judge it, and they won't revise those representations until they judge it again, even if it would be reasonable to say they would judge it differently now. Still, these dispositions have to be realized in some way in the brain, for example based on their other beliefs that are in fact stored, the neural connections, various factors that influence the likelihood of a neuron firing, and so on. Intrinsic a terminal versus instrumental. For example, someone may want to succeed in school to become a doctor and help others, so this preference to succeed in school is, at least partially, instrumental, that is we satisfy it in order to satisfy other preferences from which it derives like helping others. Intrinsic eterminal versions are not derived from others in this way. Generally, it seems people intrinsically prefer not to suffer severely, although they may also often have instrumental reasons to avoid suffering or avoid things that coincide with suffering, for example failure or the loss of loved ones. Various hypothetical idealizations like under full or with more information, about what options are available, About their consequences, about the state of the world, about reasons, etc., after training or practice, or to satisfy certain norms of epistemic or instrumental rationality. For choice based preferences, in particular, if it's the decisions or intentions themselves that matter, and we want to attribute such preferences to individuals with limited physical capacities to pursue options, like in locked in syndrome, without severely limiting the welfare ranges of such individuals relative to typically abled adult humans. We may need to idealize to hypothetical choices under situations in which the individual has greater capacities for actually choosing, for example, a machine that reads brain signals or eye movements under their conscious control, or what they would do if they had typical motor control. And even typically abled adult humans are limited in their capacities and care, or would care, about more than they can control in practice. Personal versus non-personal or other regarding, although the distinction may be somewhat artificial, Given indirectly, other regarding personal desires, like being a successful parent, Parfit, 1984. Local, about a specific thing, like just about your job in general, your current project, that a meeting goes well, or scoring that goal in a soccer match, versus global, about their life as a whole, Parfit, 1984, like life satisfaction, plant, 2020. Quality adjusted life years, QALYs, and generalizations of QALYs to include extrinsic goals, Hazen, 2007, or other preferences about the state of the world as a whole, or all things considered, like an individual's moral beliefs, their utility function, or preferences over outcomes, prospects, or actions. Life satisfaction and QALYs are most naturally interpreted as global belief like preferences, but we can also consider global versions of other types of welfare, like your emotional reactions, hedonic states, or felt desires, to imagery or descriptions of your life so far or possible futures or the choices you've made or would make between futures on choice-based preferences. Parfit, 1984, motivated global preferences with the following example. Quote. I shall inject you with an addictive drug. From now on, you will wake each morning with an extremely strong desire to have another injection of this drug. Having this desire will be in itself neither pleasant nor painful, but if the desire is not fulfilled within an hour it will then become very painful. This is no cause for concern, since I shall give you ample supplies of this drug. Every morning, you will be able at once to fulfill this desire. The injection, and its after-effects, would also be neither pleasant nor painful. You will spend the rest of your days as you do now. End quote. If desire satisfaction is good and its value sums within an individual, or we might assume it's also or instead pleasurable, then this seems very good and could even outweigh your life being much worse in other ways. However, I'd guess many people would judge such a life as worse overall, and I'm inclined to let people decide for themselves and respect their judgments either way. The alternative seems alienating and paternalistic. Those judgments, how people decide for themselves, are global preferences. Even if we use global preferences to avoid alienation, it also matters how exactly we use them, in case they can be changed or replaced. This article was narrated by Type 3 Audio for the Effective Altruism Forum. It was first published on February 2, 2024. The original text contained 20 footnotes, which were omitted from the narration. To report an issue or give feedback on this narration, go to t3a.is.